With Siyata Dishmaya, let's continue with this deep work of the Ramchal and understanding God's plan and knowing God's plan. Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato Abishalom, who gave us this amazing wisdom. So now let's continue. Now, let's talk about the phase of concealment of God's oneness. And here we're going to have a summary because it's important for us to summarize where what we've learned so far in, in these lessons. So we've seen that the entire creation is centered on the principle of the revelation of God's oneness. In stage one, God's oneness is concealed in order to give man the task of earning his reward. In stage two, which is the time for receiving the reward, God's oneness is revealed. And we'll now begin to a detailed description of these two time phases, starting with the stage of divine concealment. So, before we begin our description of the phase of concealment, we need to give an important introduction about the terms we use to describe God. And this is necessary in order that we should not misunderstand what is going to be said. When we see the various ways in which God directs the world, we describe him as compassionate, mighty, etc. However, these attributes do not relate to God's true essence. They're simply attributes that God decided to bring into being for the purpose of creation at the level necessary to sustain finite existence. God's true essence is infinite and totally beyond our comprehension. It is forbidden for us to even attempt to investigate the nature of his essence. Nothing that exists in the created world has any connection whatsoever to God's infinite perfection and therefore no thought can possibly grasp them. God, however, wanted to bestow on man the ultimate good by allowing him to experience the light of his presence. And therefore he created spiritual emanations of divine radiance through which to shape and direct the world. And since he is the source of all these emanations and he does all these things, we must say that these emanations or attributes do relate to him in some way, but he is not limited by them and they exist only in so far as he wants them to. So whatever we can grasp of God's existence is only through his actions. We can only perceive the finite results of his actions not how the infinite God actually does these actions. And although we say that God knows, remembers, or shows compassion, this has nothing to do with the way we do these same things. God acts in an infinite way beyond our understanding. We can only describe the way we receive these actions in our finite universe. So we're now discussing the phase during which God's oneness is concealed. Since God wanted to give man the opportunity to earn his own reward, he created a world of evil and good, of good and evil. Man is free to choose whatever he wants to do and perfect the world or to sin and bring destruction upon the world. However, man's tendency to sin has brought the world into a situation of great darkness. And all this can happen only because God has concealed his absolute power and oneness. Nevertheless, God is still the source of everything that exists. Everything comes into being and is sustained by an emanation of his created power. However, this emanation is just a faint trace of the infinite light that was there before the concealment. And this concealment is only a temporary phase of no more than 6,000 years necessary to bring about the ultimate revelation of God's oneness. God therefore transmitted an influx of absolute good 
from the level of his sovereignty and perfection in order to guide the whole creation towards its eventual perfection. God judges this world of good and evil continuously with his attribute of judgment. And simultaneously on a hidden level, he uses his attribute of sovereignty and goodness to perfect the world even if we do not deserve it. And according to the attribute of judgment, God subjugates, as it were, his actions to the actions of man. He bestows good upon them if they do good, and he punishes them if they sin. So according to the attribute of sovereignty, he can overlook our sins if necessary in order to perfect the world and bring it to its ultimate redemption. The attribute of judgment is revealed and visible, while the attribute of sovereignty and perfection acts on a hidden level within the attribute of judgment itself. So the student asks how God's perfection can act upon the world. Had we not previously learned that God's perfection is totally beyond this world? So the rabbi answers that God's true infinite perfection is indeed totally beyond all of creation. God created the universe by withdrawing, as it were, his infinite essence and bringing it into existence certain finite attributes through which to sustain and direct the world. But this limited reality was created imperfect and full of darkness. God could have, could have created it perfect, at least according to its own limited level. However, he desired to perfect the world and not leave it as is. And therefore, he transmitted an emanation of his perfection in order to guide the world on a very deep level towards its eventual perfection. And nevertheless, this is not an emanation of his true infinite perfection. Rather, it's only relative to the created world, sufficient to bring it to its own level of perfection. The student's question has now been answered. The divine perfection that acts on the world is only perfect in relation to the created world, and it's not God's true infinite perfection. So on a deeper level, we should know that everything God brings into the world has two levels the visible and the concealed. The visible is the system of reward and punishment, good and evil. The concealed is the profound design guiding everything towards the ultimate good. At the time of the redemption, God will reveal to us part of the concealed level, how everything that ever happened was only for the good. However, God's wisdom is incredibly deep. And what we will understand in the future is only a tiny part of the wisdom that was involved in everything that God did. Only what can be grasped from within the events of history will become clear to us. The rest will remain beyond our grasp. It's only the action of the force of perfection that relates directly to God. The actions of the system of reward and punishment are considered as if they emerge by themselves. In reality, it's only the influence of the force of perfection upon the system of reward and punishment that allows these actions to actually come about. There's also a third element situated between the force of perfection and the system of reward and punishment that allows these totally different levels to actually interact. All the forces and attributes that God uses to run the world only exist because God's infinite will desires that they should exist. And similarly, each created thing is only given existence by his divine will. All this follows as a necessary result of the fact that only God must absolutely exist and nothing else. And since this is the case, it is clear that everything else exists only because God wants it to.
And at a certain point, God decreed that the world should exist and created a space within his infinite essence to make this possible. And before that, the world did not exist at all. And even though we say that God rejoices in and is glorified by his creations, this does not mean that before the creation, he lacked this joy and glory. Before the world existed, only God existed in his infinite perfection and not nothing. Only after God desired that the world should exist, could it serve as it were as a source of joy and glory to him. Only then can we say in a certain sense that his desire has not yet been fulfilled until all the elements of creation are actually created and achieve their purpose. And this includes not just creations, but also the forces of creations themselves. And both of these categories are necessary to fill the space created by God's desire that the world should exist. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen ve Amen.